0: Please open God's precious Holy Word to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we have come to verses 10, 11, and 12. Still in the beginning of Peter's letter, his epistle, to the scattered seed, the elect seed, the, the the scattered elect seed of the dispersion, which means that they are carrying, they are exiles and they are carrying the seed of the gospel. And we studied all that, how God has, according to his foreknowledge, placed them exactly on top of the culture, the society, the city, the village, wherever, that he intended for them to be Because the purpose of God is to call his own into salvation. Now, those to whom he writes, to remind you, are suffering under Nero. He hates Christians. He hates Christianity. And thus, it's in vogue for Roman citizens to despise Christians and Christianity. It's difficult for them to find a job. To find a place to live. To find friends. And yet they have the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is with them. It's difficult. They're persecuted. But Peter now is giving... The the general theme of his first epistle here is hope. We have a hope beyond any other hope that the world may have. So... He tells them to focus on certain things and he gave them uh, things in heaven to focus on, an imperishable inheritance, those things. And then last time we saw how he begins to tell them to focus on the present, on your salvation. Now he continues that here in verse 10. So let's just get started. A letter to suffering, lonely persecuted Christians who in that time, in that part of history and in that part of the world and in that era, they were always in danger. And I've told you every Sunday since we've been in first Peter, who's writing to suffering persecuted Christians that in our world today, even in our nation, there are suffering persecuted Christians And the world, which hates God and has within its grip um, academia, governmental administration, even religion, and God help us, even in many cases, so-called churches within Christendom. And, And the world is an intimidating thing. It's a a powerful and strong enemy. But we have the Holy Spirit of God who is stronger and greater. And we trust that we are sustained and empowered until God's purpose through us has been completed. And at some infinitely glorious time, he calls us home. Now he's writing them To focus on their salvation. He continues here in verse 10. And we're going to see that. There are four. Entities personalities whatever. uh, Mentioned here. The first are the prophets. Concerning this salvation. The prophets. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Made careful searches. And inquiries now that I have those Greek words up there underlined and in bold print that it comes out to be careful searches and inquiries. Those are powerful words. They're compound Greek words and they're they're put together in this phrase. Which identifies the primary activity of the prophets. Which was to diligently, carefully, exhaustively research and study this salvation of the grace that would come to you. Let's talk about the prophets for just a bit. The prophets had two, two primary uh, parts to their job description. Number one was to proclaim the word of God to their generation in their day as it would apply to the people. Jeremiah, for example, he lived in a horrible time of sin in the southern kingdom of Judah. He kept proclaiming the word of God of, of the people's need of righteousness, of the people's need to turn from their sin, of the danger of what was taking over their culture, their nation, their society. Well, the people wouldn't hear. They kept thinking that uh, Egypt and and, and, and uh, Assyria or somebody was going to come and save them through some kind of an alliance. Finally, Jeremiah says, "Look, the the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and we're not saved." They hated Jeremiah for that message because they wanted to believe they could laugh and carry on and continue in this lifestyle that reeked of idolatry and sin which in an earthen sense I suppose seemed to be gratifying satisfying it seemed in sort of in some sort of earthen sense to make the people happy but Jeremiah proclaimed to them the word of God applicable for their day and their time they wouldn't listen Jeremiah is just a case in point. So it is with the other prophet. Elijah was a great prophet. He came and he preached to Ahab and Jezebel about the contemporary uh, problems, the the sinful condition that were brought in and pampered and promoted by Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel herself being a priestess of Baal. He preached, he proclaimed. When you look at the cross, the prophets, you'll see that they, they proclaimed the word of God that it would apply to their, their generation and their time. But they had another second part to their job description, which was to predict the future. Now this would come to them from heaven by the Holy Spirit. We'll see that as we go along. This is not something they could conjure. As a matter of fact, when the spirit of revelation and the spirit of prophecy came upon them and they prophesied and of course it was recorded, they didn't even know what they were talking about. They, they, they understood what God was telling them to write and prophesy, but they didn't exactly know what it meant. This salvation of grace is What the prophets were prophesying. And the prophets were carefully and diligently studying and searching and inquiring about this salvation, this grace. This is something they didn't understand. And each prophet gives a piece, or maybe more than one piece, of the total of the prophecy. The spirit of prophecy, the revelator says in in the Revelation... The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. They didn't know that. They knew a lot of things. For example, they knew that mankind was a fallen race. In Adam, we are sinful. There is no depth to which we cannot fall. We can collapse into the worst of things. We see it even today. Terrible unrighteousness, sin, and evil. God even proclaimed at the time of the flood every man's imagination and thought is to do evil continually. Jesus Christ said, You're condemned by your thoughts. It is out of of the heart of a man that these evil things proceed. You don't have to teach people how to be bad. We are naturally bad. We're fallen. We're evil. We're sinful. The longer we go in in our fallen state, the worse we can become. There's no limit to the depths of degradation and depravity into which we would fall. The prophets knew this. The prophets knew that God was a gracious God. The prophets knew that salvation was the primary purpose and goal of God to save his people and that God then would receive glory so that the glory of God at the end of it was primary to everything and the the great vehicle to that glory was salvation. I'll tell you this. I could Greek and Hebrew you to death and I could tell you about the doctrine of sin and salvation, the doctrine of divine inspiration, the doctrine of demons and angels—I mean, the creation cosmology cosmogony—I mean, all of it. We could take a year to, or more to study theological persuasions, but if I'm not saved, it doesn't mean a thing. The bottom line is salvation, and so this is the and the prophets knew this. The humble lives of the prophets. Hebrews 11 said they were despised by the world. The world didn't deserve them. Tormented them, tortured them, killed them. We read in Isaiah was sawn in half and Jeremiah was thrown in a pit and left for dead. God wasn't through with him yet. Jeremiah was mistreated all of his life, hated for his message. The prophets were told from God this book, this prophecy, it's going to be sweet when you taste it. But it's going to be bitter when you swallow it. Because the world hates it. He even told, he even told the prophet, he said, you're going to go to the people. And you are commended to prophesy my word to these people. But they're not going to receive it. And they're going to hate you for it. The prophets knew the vileness of the human race. They knew that. They also knew that God was a saving God. He was a gracious God. He is a gracious God. And so they kept trying to put this thing together about salvation and grace, just grace. So they wrote and prophesied and God would give them certain truths along the way. It's like, I've probably used this before, but I heard one of my seminary professors describe it as standing on a plain somewhere and looking in the distance and seeing mountain range after mountain range and peaks of those mountains in the distance. And you don't know how far away one peak is from the other. And you don't know how deep and wide and long the valley is from one mountain range to another. But those mountaintops, those peaks, those are the truths of God's prophecy that the prophets wrote. And that it would all come together in a way that God would design. So, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. The prophets. When I read the prophets... I read that Christ would, in the Old Testament, Christ will be born of a virgin. I read in another, I read, well, in the same prophet, Isaiah, that he would perform miracles. His ministry would be in and about Nazareth, Galilee. He would cause the blind to see the great identifier of the Messiah for the Orthodox Jew was a Messiah who could make blinded eyes see. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets and he was depressed, he was in prison. He had introduced Christ as the Messiah and now he's having this moment and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one for whom we should look or should we look for another? Because in his mind, the kingdom should have already been established One of the things that Jesus said and sent them back to tell John. Tell him that blind people can see. Isaiah wrote about that. Further on in Isaiah he wrote about the sufferings of Christ. In Isaiah 53. He described the the cruel processes that would befall Christ. Christ and that the suffering of Christ would please Yahweh because this was the suffering servant to die for the sins of his own. He would die between two criminals. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. The psalmist prophesies that uh, they would pierce his hands and his feet and that Gentiles would look upon him and laugh and that they would even gamble for his garments. Zechariah said that he would come into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey and then the people would pierce him. They will look upon the one whom they pierced. That they would kill him by piercing. Daniel in chapter nine talks about in prophecy, he previews the coming plight of the nation of Israel in 70 Shabbos, in 77s. It's called 70 weeks in Daniel. It's translated that way. The 70 sevens of Daniel. And the first 69 run concurrently, but it's very clear. Daniel is very meticulous in describing at the end of the 69th seven comes at the, the, the uh the murder of Messiah. He will be cut off and will receive nothing. That is to say, the rightful king at that time won't establish the kingdom. He'll be murdered. But there's still one seven-year period left that hasn't been fulfilled. So Daniel prophesies the murder of the Messiah. The psalmist also prophesies the resurrection of Christ, even the ascension of Christ. I mean, we could go on and on about the prophecies that the prophets gave variously across time to describe Christ. They knew that there was coming a savior by Genesis 3, 15. Moses first prophesied in Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of woman, a virgin-born man, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. When Jesus was resurrected and before his ascension, he suddenly appeared with two broken broken-hearted people Who were so disappointed that the one in whom they had placed their faith had died. Well, there he is right with them walking along. And Jesus presses the point to bring them to this place where Luke says, and I think what chapter 24. Luke says, and Jesus, starting with Moses and continuing through all of the prophets told them about himself. All of the prophets. Now Jesus has come, and all of those prophecies have come together into the person of Christ. Well, these are what the prophets did. They had this beautiful, beautiful message and this wonderful ministry for their time where they were helping build the hope of people regarding the Savior, the Christ. By the end of the New Testament, they had described him that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he would come from a kingly race. He would be son of David. He would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, we go on all that. Virgin born. And how he would die and, and how he would defeat death. All, they, they knew this. By the time you get to Malachi, all of these things can be put together. The prophets, but at any point in time, any particular prophet had to search I want to know more about this. So they did so with careful searches and inquiries. What were they wanting to know? They were wanting to know who and when. Here it is. Inquiring to know what person or what kind of time or circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting or testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. This is a rich verse filled with wonderful things to consider. Number one, every prophet or any prophet at any point in time in the Old Testament, two jobs to proclaim the word of God and to predict the future And in in predicting the future, he was focused on a Savior about whom he wanted to know more. And he exhausted everything he could exhaust in his day to study. And he had two questions. Who is it? And when is he coming? Those were their two questions. What person or what kind of time or circumstances the Spirit of Christ within within them Was indicating. Now, you had the prophets, and here you have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. They had the Spirit of prophecy. So, concerning this salvation, your salvation, my salvation, it came from heaven. It was embedded divinely by inspiration, divine inspiration. It was embedded, implanted into the heart, thoughts, minds of the prophets, and they wrote it down. The Spirit of Christ within them came from heaven into the lives and ministries of the various prophets. The Spirit of Christ. It was the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit here called the Spirit of Christ because the primary objective of the ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament was as is seen here to try their best to discover who and when. It was indicating as he, the Holy Spirit, was predicting or testifying beforehand. Okay. The Holy Spirit through the prophets before the sufferings of Christ, before the glories of Christ Predicted or testified to the glories of Christ and the sufferings of Christ. We read these in the the prophets. I mentioned some of them Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Zechariah, what, 9 through 12. These descriptions of the Christ, Isaiah, replete with messianic prophecy. So the Holy Spirit, in the old, he's called the Spirit of Christ this is the subject of Christ is always the primary subject for the world. All of the world from every generation will have to stand before Christ. All of us. Reprobate, elect, save, doesn't matter. All of us will stand before Christ. We must answer to him. It is his salvation that saves. There are, I read this a couple of, maybe the last week. There are 33 33 so-called holy or divine scriptures. 33 separate script, holy books. Only one of them gives predictive prophecy. The rest of them are just too scared to do that. They can't. Because they don't know. But our God knows. And so the spirit that moved the prophets, the Holy Spirit, can be sub-identified as the spirit of Christ. This is the whole of everything, Christ. How is it with you and Christ? That's the only thing that matters. Only one life will 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 soon be passed. Only one life. Only what we've done for Christ will last. Now, he's called here the Spirit of Christ, predicting and testifying to, through the prophets, two primary subjects, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The sufferings will come first, the glories will follow. Now, the Pharisees in the time of Jesus, the scribes and and Sadducees, of course, they were a lost cause anyway, but the, the priesthood, they all... Rejected that part of the Old Testament that predicts the sufferings of Christ. They just they just rejected it. They didn't even think about it. All they wanted to think about was the glories of the Christ, the great king who would defeat the Gentile powers and would establish this wonderful kingdom of righteousness. And the nation of Israel would be the primary nation of all nations and the king of all the world, the king of all kings would be their Messiah and all of the nations would come to worship him and, and they would bring gifts to him on their appointed times according to Isaiah. So they they didn't want to think about, but here we're told the spirit of Christ predicted primarily two things. This is the story of prophecy in the old Testament to predict the sufferings of Christ And the glories to follow. It should not have been a surprise to anyone when the Christ of God came the first time. It was clearly stated that he would suffer and die, he would be put to death, he would be killed even by his own people. And at that time, he would not receive the kingdom. And they, even the apostles, even to the time of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, Post-resurrection, pre-ascension, Christ. The apostles asked him the question, the disciples. Well, now that you've gone through all of that, now will you restore the kingdom? They still didn't get it. Christ would ascend, the Holy Spirit would fall, and then things would fall into place. Well, okay. So the Spirit of Christ testifies beforehand, predicts beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow and he is the spirit of Christ who fills the hearts of the prophets and each of them each of them give us gave us something some part and then at the end of the old testament here we had all of these parts of prophecies about salvation Christ the sufferings and glories of Christ all of those things now could be put together you see so it was the Spirit of Christ. This, these, the message of the prophets came from heaven via the Spirit of Christ. Predicting sufferings of Christ and glories of Christ. But let's keep going from here. Look at the next and the last verse we'll look at today. And it was revealed to them, who? Those who preached, initially the apostles. It was revealed to them, That they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been declared to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. All right, let's stop there. Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born. Peter writes to these scattered saints, the exiles, these seed bearers of the gospel. And he says something profound to these poor, otherwise unknown, uncared for, suffering, persecuted Christians. Peter says, you know, Across those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. As one prophet came and the next prophet came and the next prophet and the next prophet and the next prophet and the next prophet. And And these bits and pieces were being gathered into the precious holy word of God as the Old Testament prophets. And as they suffered, they never relaxed from their call into the ministry of prophecy. They never backed down. It cost them their lives. It cost them suffering. It cost them everything in their day. It was revealed to them. Okay. What would be given to those, the apostles. And the church here, all right, look. They're not serving themselves, but you. Those things that we've preached, which is the gospel. This is a tremendous thought. Remember we started out with the word grace. Concerning this salvation of grace. Remember that? Peter. Is inspired from heaven to say this to the church. The apostles and preachers who preach the gospel. They're not serving themselves. They're serving you. You. Because now, in God's purpose and time, according to his will, now, when the Holy Spirit comes to the church and God sends his preachers, his apostles, his preachers, now, all of the prophecies can be gathered together for the first time. Now, The church can see what the prophets could not see. What they searched diligently for and inquired about in all of their lives. Who and when we can answer that question. Who and when we can even answer the question where and the question what. Because we know the gospel of Christ in the church. We wouldn't be in the church. We wouldn't be saved if we had no knowledge of the gospel of Christ. What it means for us, this is the foundation of the purpose of God in all of history. This is what the prophets were working on. But they couldn't know it all together. They wanted to. They wanted to so badly. They wanted to know who and when. But they couldn't know. The Holy Spirit comes. The apostles preach. Peter would say, you read it in the Old Testament. I'm here to proclaim it to you in its fullness. Now we know. Now we understand. Now we know who. And now we know when. The blessed Christ of God. The sufferings of Christ, the glories that are to follow. So it was revealed to them, they weren't serving themselves but you. So we are the audience of all that the prophets had given. Because we're the ones now who stand as recipients of the whole thing put together. And it all comes together in the person of of Christ, His sufferings and His glories to follow. It originates in heaven. The Holy Spirit brings it. The Spirit of Christ brings it, plants it into the hearts and lives of the prophets. One after another, they give more and more and clearer and clearer identification of the nature of the salvation and the Savior. All of these things are given. Even the law is given to identify the attributes and characteristics of the ministry of the Christ. And all that was given into the tabernacle and later the temple and through those rituals, ceremonies and so forth. And how Christ fulfills all of those things and how he is our Sabbath. We rest in Christ. All of the work has been done by Christ. And we rest upon his completed work we understand about the sufferings of Christ. We see now things that the prophets could not have seen. A little piece here, a little bit there, but not what we know. And it has come to us initially through the apostles. That is why they are listed as the foundation of the new Jerusalem. It was by their preaching and then churches were planted and elders and preachers are called and strengthened and gifted and sent forth and sent out as as ministers and missionaries and evangelists pastors and teachers and all of this has come together and we're the audience of everything that the prophets had said just a few minutes ago I off the top of my head randomly listed several things that the prophets had written about today we can put all of that together even Bethlehem in Micah where he says the ancient one will come the the eternal god will be born isaiah of a virgin and so forth now we can put all that together we are the audience we have a great and wonderful privilege and responsibility to what preach the gospel We live in a society that's in severe decline, deprivation, where it seems that sin is overwhelming. Sin will not win. It is not our You see, these apostles, when they first came, they didn't preach social justice. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The concern for your soul. If people will come to Christ through the rebirth, all of these social things will eventually work themselves out. Now, we live in a world that finally will collapse into sin. I understand that. And the tribulation. I'm certainly not a post-millennialist who believes that the church is going to make everything better until finally we've cleansed the world and Christ now feels fit that he can come back. Well, that's silly. Of course, we don't believe that. But we believe this individually. If you will come to Christ, if God sees fit to call you into His salvation, we read it in First Peter earlier, chapter one. He will cause you to be born again. He will do it. He will cause you to be. Now, when He gives you a rebirth and a new life, everything changes. Everything changes. This is our great mission. This is our great message the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a sinner without Christ. You are destined for hell in trespass and sin unless God, in His grace, intervenes and brings conviction upon you and causes you to look at your dilemma and your sinful state. And causes you to be born again. And rebirths you. Into a new life. Through what Jesus Christ has done. You are fallen. You are unredeemed. You're in need of redemption. You're in need of atonement. You can never die for yourself. And your sins. You need another. Who has been declared by the father. As to be clean. And holy and righteous. You need that one. To die in your place. To be an atonement for you. There's only one. It's written to the church, to the church in the book of Acts. The only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. There's only one Savior. This is the gospel of Christ. This is not a message of hatred. This is a message of love. It. Will, I don't care how vile of a sinner you may be. And how detestable you may seem to much of the world, if you would but be saved, it won't bother me a bit if your mansion sits right next to mine. Because we all are there covered in the righteousness of Christ. Saved by the blood of the Lamb, the great price paid that I could never pay for myself. This is the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. It was revealed to them. Now I can see everything that the prophets said. And the whole of the Bible. The whole of the purpose of God. Is salvation. Salvation of souls. That the gospel message will go out. I understand. What the Bible says. About the elect of God. But I don't understand who they are. I don't know where they are, when they are, how they are, why they are. My great commission is to pray for all of them and long for all of them to be saved. And I preach to all of them with the same passion and compassion from one group to another. Come and be saved. Come to Christ. That's not a message of hate. That's a message of love and hope. It's a message of truth. Absolute truth. And if you die in disbelief you won't be dead that long until you'll believe it but it's too late at that point. So the great Old Testament story comes to them the apostles those preaching the gospel understand they're not serving themselves they're serving you. We are the audience the church those to whom God would call to himself and these things which now have been declared to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The message of other so-called religions will change with regard to salvation. It's, if it's not established on absolute truth, which is the word of God, it is subject to change. The word of God never changes. It's always the same. Salvation remains the same. It is so simple. But first, God has to move upon you and convict you and call you to himself. Oh, I'll be saved in the by and by. I'll be saved when I want to be saved. You won't be saved at all unless God calls you to be saved. And when he calls, you'll know it. You'll know it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved. To admit that you're a sinner. Come under that conviction. The normal, natural man refuses to believe that there's anything wrong with him, that he can make himself okay. If he has a flaw, he'll overcome it. That's the natural man. That'll never work. It'll never work. You must come under this conviction of sin I cannot save myself. I am unfit for heaven. And call out to the God of salvation to save you in Jesus' name. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. That Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. Because the shaking had caused all of the jail cells to open up and he was Facing a terrible death by his Roman authorities. Paul says, Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. It's okay. Now, they had been singing hymns, psalms, and no doubt preaching and testifying. This was the response of the Philippian jailer What must I do to be saved? It's the only place in the Bible the question is asked. Did you know that? The response was immediate and complete from the apostle. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He was saved and baptized along with all of his house. He went home and told his household about Jesus. They all came to Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We're warned. I used to try to, I didn't used to try to do it I would find myself debating with people oh, over things like, I don't know, evolution or some crazy thing. And the, the Apostle Paul says we shouldn't spend our time wasting our time with silly debates. My, my, my approach is very simple these days. And it's just out of the Bible. You know, if you don't believe in God, you're a fool. And if you're not of the elect, you're of the reprobate. So here are two, here are two things at the end of all things, heaven and hell. Right now, from all that I can see, you're just going to fit in hell. It's, I'm not going to debate Evolution. I'm kind of a smart-aleck, you know, I can say, well, I'm sorry, you never made it out of the monkey stage yourself. (laughs) What does your mama look like? And that's where I usually get in fights. (laughs) We're not here to debate silly myths and science falsely so-called, as Paul calls it. We're not here to debate the articles of salvation. We are here to preach the gospel of Christ. There is no other way to be saved. And I'm telling you that knowing that you may hate me for it, but knowing that you may hate me should prove to you my love for you. That my standing in this world in the eyes of many will be diminished. Because I'm going to tell you publicly there is only one Savior. There's only one way to be saved. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. There's no other way. Finally, the last of those mentioned here in this passage. Things into which angels... Desire to look. Think about that. Sometimes somebody may think, you know, I wish I'd have been an angel. Now you don't. I'm going to tell you why. There are good angels, there are evil angels. There are elect angels, there are fallen angels. But there are no saved angels. No such thing. As the salvation of angels. No such thing. They were there. When all this is going on. And that word desire. You see it's a, it's a word. It's. It's a word that can be. Translated lust. In other words. This is a strong. Hot desire that I have. And I want to strain on my tiptoes to look into this thing, this thing of salvation. The grace of God predates the law. The Bible says in Genesis that Abraham was justified by faith. The Bible says in Genesis that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, the whole book is about the grace of God. None of us are saved but by the grace of God. We deserve nothing. That's part of conviction to come before the Lord and express absolutely that we're worthless and we need a Savior. And we can only come to that conclusion by divine revelation that God would cause us to be born again, that we could see it and know it to be true. Things into which angels desire to look. No wonder they rejoice over the salvation of souls. Such a wonder for the elect angels to be watching this. Maybe even fallen angels. I don't know. but I know the elect angels certainly to rejoice. The grace of God. This is something that could only come from God. Not even the angels would have thought of it. Only from God, saved by grace. That I have recognized in my life that I am a sinner. And worthless is divine revelation. The normal and natural man wants to make excuses, blame others, blame other settings or situations, blame the environment, whatever. Never take personal responsibility, but the conviction of God makes us to realize that we are worthless. We're depraved. We need a savior. We need to be born again of the spirit. We need to be a new creature. We don't want to be the old creature anymore. Christ does that for us in his finished work on Calvary's cross. The angels, you'll find a good angel, a bad angel, an elect angel, a fallen angel, but you won't ever find a saved angel. Salvation is found only in Christ and only comes to those of us who are first in Adam, but then in Christ. The apostle writes, for in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you and he'll save you. In just a moment, we'll stand and be dismissed with a benediction. If you feel the conviction of God today on your way out, you'll see deacons and their wives standing in the doorways of rooms right across the hall as you exit. You'll see them. They're there ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian and you want to come and be a part of Shiloh. They're prepared to help you with that as well. For now let's stand prayerfully and we'll be dismissed in prayer.